Well, hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live today from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And as usual, I am so happy that you're here because we have so many valuable resources to share with you. And I know that you're here as a proactive parent to help get the resources that you need, especially the natural ones, to be able to recover your child from their symptoms of autism. And I am here to share what I have learned in my over a decade of research now, what brought my own son to recovery from his symptoms of autism, and I had been told that he could not recover, that we should drug him and try behavioral therapies, but I wanted to uh, find out for myself what could be done for him, and luckily I did because um, my research led me to so many great natural resources, and I have put them now together in a, um, I have a free workshop to share with you to kind of help you understand a little clearer what I did in a sequence. And it's called, it's a free online workshop called the four stages to naturally recover from the symptoms of autism. Stage one is healing the gut. Stage two is natural heavy metal detoxification. Stage three is clearing the co-infections of, of course, mold, Lyme, and strep included. And then stage four is brain support and repair. And you can get that workshop at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop free workshop. And I do have uh, another guest with us today, Dr. Jody DeShore, and we will be talking more about those co-infections. And this is a continued conversation that Dr. DeShore and I have been doing for you because in the past we have covered uh, some of the issues as far as uh, Lyme and, and some of the natural treatment options because as you may have remembered, if you haven't listened to those shows, to that show, I will link to uh, different show notes and links in uh, for this episode uh, to at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 30, uh, 30, because this is show number 30. So um, you can get some of those past resources, but we're continuing this conversation because there are so many uh, important aspects to know about these comorbid infections, and a lot of parents are completely unaware of them, and they are often the reason why your child will plateau and not get better and um, or you just might reach a certain point and you're not understanding what's going on. And so it's important that today we will be focusing on the co-infection of PANS or pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric syndrome. But as that co-infection is triggered by another one of the co-infections, which is the mold biotoxin issue. And we will be sharing those resources and that information with you in today's show. Um, and I'll be linking to some others that we've discussed. And of course, we will continue Continue this conversation because there is a lot for you to know and we don't want to be just you know shooting a big fire hose at you with that huge amount of information but we want to make sure that you have these resources to help your own child get better. So today we have Dr. Jody DeShore with us, and I'm going to give her a brief bio, biography so that you have a little background on her if you're not familiar with Dr. DeShore. She's an internationally recognized pioneering clinician in the all-natural plant-based treatment of autism, Lyme's disease, mold biotoxin illness, PANS or PANDAS, nutrigenomics, and autoimmune illness. She works with children and adults in over 27 countries around the world. Dr. DeShore is a board-certified doctor of occupational therapy, neurology, with a postdoctoral specialization in neurosensory. She is board-certified as a holistic health practitioner and board-certified in integral pediatrics. Her past training abroad includes specializa specialization in pediatric neurology and multiple naturopathic disciplines in Bombay, the UK, and the USA. 
Dr. DeShore is currently pursuing her PhD in board certification in integrative medicine with a special interest in quantum physics, and she's the founder of BioNexus Health Clinic in Marlboro, New Jersey. And uh, Dr. DeShore also is a an herbal specialist who is able to uh, work with a lot of these comorbid infections naturally. And Dr. Short, congratulations. I know you were just uh, completed the final certification for the mold biotoxin clinician um, certification, which is very important because there are just a handful of those available to us in the world and uh, we need more of you. So welcome, Dr. Deshore. Thank you for being here with us again today. Thank you so much, Karen, for that wonderful introduction. And yes, it's it's indeed a, a privilege to be certified in Dr. Shoemaker's protocol. And there's only about 24 of us uh, or so of us in the world that, that are able to uh, work with children and are certified in uh, in the mold biotoxin illness protocol. Right. And a lot of people think, well, anybody could just work with the mold issue, but it's very specialized. And I found out my, myself with my own my own personal uh, health and with uh, with my sons that we have that there's a genetic uh, uh, issue and about 29 percent, I believe, of the population have it. So um, it's important to know that, that this is inherited and it's, it will explain more about how your body can't dispel those toxins and what happens then in that case. But today also how PANS is associated with it and can be a trigger for a mold and, and PANS kind of go together because mold can affect um, uh, the PANS. Um, if for, for you listening to, PANS is, is, is an acronym for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And you might hear the word PANDAS also, which means it's associated with streptococcal infections. And I mm-hmm. interviewed Dr. Rosario Trifoletti uh, a few shows ago, and I will link again in the show notes, these show notes today back to that one if you uh, missed that, to kind of go into uh, deep detail on PANS and PANDAS. But we're going to talk about that today as well as how the mold and the other co-infections are associated. So, Dr. Deshore, um, maybe you can just kind of tell us a little bit about PANS. Well, let's, why don't we just start out there today? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I was thinking we could uh, illustrate this a little bit with a case study. I, I just uh, uh, had a uh, follow-up with uh, Jason in South Korea, one, one of my patients, you know, who uh, the family was able to bring him over to the U.S. for a visit, and, and I've, I've been following him, his care, for about a year and a half now. So Jason had, you know, in the beginning, uh, he, was, he was born... Uh, birth and early development was normal, had bad reactions to vaccines, high fever, uncontrollable screaming, and then recurring ear infections, upper respiratory infections. They were all deemed to be viral, you know, so he did not receive any kind of antibiotics. Uh, he was diagnosed. Uh, he stopped speaking, avoided eye contact, started banging his head, and he was diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum disorders at about three years of age. Now, Mom and dad did everything they could with the biomedical aspect of it, you know, with the stool testing, blood, uh, hair testing, allergy testing, urine testing, the diet, the GAPS diet, the SCD, the gluten-free, casein-free. So they did everything they could trying to heal the, the leaky gut. And for some reason, uh, his condition only worsened. And you know he he would make a little bit of recovery, and then his, his condition would worsen. The head banging became more, and uh, his OCD 
his uh, self-injurious behavior, just uh, as he was getting older, closer to about four years, four, four and a half years of age, the OCD was relentless. Uh, because Jason had uh, gross motor issues and fine motor issues, he would trip and, and occasionally, you know, kind of, um, he would acquire a mild injury and uh, the OCD would kick in and he would keep picking at this mild injury until it would bleed and it, it just and, and make it into a huge wound that no one was really allowed near because it was hurting. So it, you know, and, and for a nonverbal child, it, it was a very difficult situation for the parents as well as for Jason himself. Um, so I believe the parents managed to attend Autism One one year and they heard about, uh, about pants and pandas. And as you mentioned, you know, pandas is associated only with strep. It used to be called pandas. So there is uh, a, a slightly differing viewpoints that exist out there. Some think that, you know, it used to be pandas, meaning pediatric autoimmune uh, neuropsychiatric uh, disorders associated with strep and only strep. And then uh, it was gradually transitioned to the name PANS, which is pediatric acute neuropsychiatric syndrome. Uh, and there still is a little bit of a gray area that we need to cover because uh, children with autism fall into a lot of gray areas, don't they? So it becomes difficult to have to see a textbook picture that, you know, uh, my child with autism went to bed and then next day morning just woke up a completely different kid, like, you know, with, with motor tics, with uh, uh, OCD behaviors, with, with other symptoms of pants, which uh, I'm, I'm sure Dr. Schifoletti discussed uh, when he was here, and we will go over those as well briefly uh, just to refresh people's minds. So I rarely see this textbook presentation with the uh, pants. And I, um, we don't really refer to, uh, to pandas anymore in my clinic simply because we haven't had a single child in the last seven years that has come in strictly only exclusively with strep issues uh, and has, you know, what used to be called as pandas. So for me, it's pants now. Uh, so let's, let's go back to Jason, right? So he, he came in and we did... Uh, we, we collaborated with his physician and we looked at his history and we saw what was going on, uh, increased self-injurious behavior, increase in OCD, you know, and then he started getting eye blinking. I started getting eye blinking motor tics and mom mentioned to me that on the way back from school, there was, uh, th there, there's always been, you know, a little graveyard and it, it was okay. The whole time was fine. And, Suddenly, you know, once, once this increase, this, this flare-up in, in his OCD and behavioral issues, uh, that was when Jason started uh, to have a, a very scary and violent reaction each time they would pass the graveyard. And we know that in children with pants, they have intrusive thoughts. And they have, you know, morbid intrusive thoughts often. And uh, Jason has... I mean, I, I've been seeing Jason for, for a couple of years, like I said, and he has since recovered a little bit of his language. And he has communicated to us that every time they would pass the graveyard, he would, he would start thinking that the, um, 
you know, he, he would start thinking of zombies and bodies rotting in the grave. So this is very macabre and morbid thoughts, which unfortunately, because of brain inflammation, uh, it it is almost uh, it is almost it is uncontrollable for these children to 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 go through this this kind of suffering that they do, and especially the nonverbal children that uh, are unable to let us know what's going on. So that that would be um, you know a, a brief introduction with a case study uh, as to what was going on, and wouldn't we know it, Jason's past infections, which were all deemed viral, I, I was pretty sure, you know, they, they were bacterial. And we found, uh, once we had his local doctor in South, uh, in South Korea, run uh, basic bacterial labs, you know, so we had Jason was positive, very high uh, ASO, which is an anti-DNAV, which, which are both, um, uh, which give us strep antibodies. So strep numbers were very high. He also had uh, very high with HHV6 viral infections, Epstein-Barr, mycoplasma pneumonia. I believe he even had chlamydia pneumonia as being uh, as being um, a high active ongoing infection. Um, so we ultimately saw about 11 co-infections that may very well be triggering Jason's pan at that point. Have you seen That's this a, in uh, in your practice, Karen? Sorry. Well, yeah, it's the same type of thing. It's the symptoms arise where there's so many multiple symptoms, uh, or or they might be the child might be doing okay for a short period of time, and then all of a sudden, you know, with just as the case with the strep in the pans, that it can be a sudden onset. Like all of a sudden, they're having all of these symptoms: the uncontrollable laughter, or the tantrum, or the um, you know some of these things that you mentioned, and um, and it and and all these morbid thoughts as well, and the death and dying, and the, it scares the parents because they're wondering why is my child having these horrible thoughts is there something you know and it it's interesting how the brain works in that way um i know that from my craniosacral background we call the sphenoid the bone behind the eyes the the the, the dream bone and it's easily destabilized and people can have a lot of of um of morbid and uh, thoughts about death and dreams about death and dying when the sphenoid is out of balance so i'm wondering if this brain inflammation that happens with these acute infections is creating that same type of aspect where it, it, the inf inflammation is affecting the brain and its ability to function and the thought processes and the fear maybe around the amygdala overactive, which is often overactive in children with autism anyway. But mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm thinking about all of these craniosacral pieces that are involved and, in, you know, kind of what I know about um, these these thoughts and these the, this sort of terror that can go through somebody and, and depression is really big with that and, and of course, anxiety. So, yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. Right. So to uh, recap, you know, what happens in pediatric acute neuropsychiatric syndrome like this, like uh, it, it, it helps to illustrate with, with uh, a, a case study like Jason's. So uh, it is an infection triggered but misdirected immune response. What happens is the antibodies that the immune system produces that are initially produced intended to fight these infections. They inappropriately end up crossing the blood-brain barrier and they attack brain tissue. And this is what is called as an autoimmune encephalitis syndrome. That is, uh, so 
encephalitis is inflammation and infection. And the infections we were able to elicit in Jason's labs, you know, we, we had, uh, like I said, about 11 infections that, that came about. And um, we proceeded to treat him, right? His, his local pediatrician and myself. Now, uh, Jason's parents wanted to do only herbals. Uh, herbals and homeopathic homotoxicology, which is what I do. They wanted a complete plant-based approach. They did not want to do uh, antibiotics because it had taken them a long time to help Jason with his leaky gut. So that's precisely what we did. We used customized herbals uh, as as um, as well as published herbal protocols for uh, all of these various co-infections for Jason. So. We had antifungals, antivirals, antibacterials. These are all herbals. Uh, so multi and uh, multiple herbals, which were all antimicrobials, we were targeting all different kinds of infections. And he started to improve. You know, we saw uh, the, the OCD decreasing. We saw the anxiety, the vocal tics, the motor tics, the personality changes, the uh, uh, increase in sensory sensitivity, the um, increase in restrictive eating that, that had happened with him. So all of these symptoms started to subside little by little. And, you know, but what happened was um, his parents heard about IVIG, right, or intravenous immunoglobulin treatment. So we, they brought this to me and said, you know, we would like to see a little bit more improvement because Jason has not reached baseline yet. And this baseline was not, they were not speaking about Jason being, uh, becoming neurotypical. They were speaking, uh, they were speaking about Jason going back to the baseline before, you know, he, he went through this huge flare, which, which was when his immune system went into pants. And, uh, and I guess um, next we will speak about um, how he recovers and, and, you know, about IVIG and the options available, et cetera, when, uh, is what we should be speaking about next. Okay, perfect. We need to take a short break here, but please stay with us. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and uh, we will be right back and continue this discussion. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who... 
Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about PANS as one of the co-infections of autism, and we'll be moving into a little bit of, of other triggers uh, for PANS, and one of them happens to be mold. Uh, Dr. DeShore is with us today, and we're talking about uh, we were. She has a case study about uh, uh, somebody named Jason that was uh, she was treating, and he was having all of the symptoms of PANS, the pediatric acute neuropsychiatric syndrome, syndrome symptoms, uh, which again is this uh, the the relentless OCD. They're, they can be very clumsy. I do see them trip a lot. They have these morbid thoughts, uncontrollable thoughts, and obsessions. And they're all triggered by many of these infections in their body. And uh, so, Dr. Deshore, you were giving a little bit of background there, but now uh, we're looking at, you know, how Jason's doing and he starts to recover, but uh, but he doesn't fully recover. So, um, so there was more going on that his parents needed to know about. Again, we call these the co-infections of autism. Um, so can you give us some background about what happened next for Jason? Yes, absolutely. So what was happening, as I mentioned, was his, his, uh, you know, the, his parents started seeing improvement and I was there, uh, I was along there as well. We started seeing improvements in, 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 you know, in the, uh, typical signs and symptoms of, uh, what we knew so far to be with pants would be the, the signs of infection like, um, pharyngitis, sinusitis, the rash, the, the dry peeling skin, the thickened toenails, um, rash in different areas of the body, the dilated pupils, the motor tics, these started to recede and some of them disappeared. So it looked really good. Um, uh, mom and dad came to me and asked about IVIG, which is intravenous immunoglobulin. They did not really want to do the IVIG per se, any IV treatment, but they wanted to explore, um, you know, and they wanted to ask me if there was any natural uh, treatments that we could be done to to help, like you know, something similar to IVIG. The one thing that I found useful, and it's not for this show. Perhaps we can we can talk some other time, but I just want to mention it in brief. Is camel milk? Uh, camel milk is uh, very different from you know from cow's milk, goat's milk, sheep milk. Because that was another thing that Jason's parents had looked at the folate receptor antibodies, you know, the Quanto study, the, the FRA antibodies, and uh, Jason was uh, moderately positive for the FRA antibodies. And, you know, for, for some time there, uh, using an, um, uh, a milk profile that is quite different from your goat, cow, sheep milk profile, uh, as in, in camel milk, in the beginning it had been a little bit controversial with the FRA antibodies. Like, you know, the, the, uh, that uh, children with autism that have the folate receptor antibodies, should they be using camel milk? Then there was, um, you know, the, the, there ended up being some clinicians who were using it and some weren't, and there really aren't that many specialists in camel milk therapy in the world again, because, you know, uh, we do have camels here in the United States, but we, we only have a handful of experts, maybe not even a handful, you know, less than a handful of experts in camel milk. So I have found um, the immunoglobulins that are in camel milk uh, that, you know, to be not overly stimulating, uh, children don't really hurt from it. They, it is, it is quite possible to build up slow 
uh, one thing, and I know Karen, you'll agree, is with our with our kids because uh, I have I have a son who is fully recovered as well, just like you, uh, as many people might know. But with our kids, it is always beneficial to slowly build up things. You know, it could be herbs, could be homeopathy. You can't just go in with with full dose, and um, that's one of the things why things like antibiotics you know, uh, don't really sit well with our children because with antibiotics, in order to avoid resistance, you have to go in and build full dose. And that is often not possible, you know, not to mention the, the immense GI side effects from regular meds. So what, what, what we could do with camel milk for Jason was, again, we started with one tablespoon a day, in the beginning, you know, uh, mom might have tried one teaspoon just to be like ultra careful, but he did so well that she moved up to one tablespoon and we gradually every few days increased it and built it up to uh, half a cup for him. So you have a child who was completely dairy free. And then we, we ended up, you know, uh, right now it's been a couple years and he's actually doing half a cup twice a day of the camel milk. And yes, camel milk is available in Asia as well. I'm, I'm part of a global camel milk organization, not organization, it's a global camel milk resource group, you know, where camel milk producers and veterinarians and scientists and myself, um, we, we all kind of collaborate to help patients to, to give people information about the benefits and the use uh, of camel milk. So in many parts of the world, it's available. And Jason really did well. In fact, uh, he had three nut allergies. And uh, those, after about six to seven months on daily camel milk therapy, and I say therapy because it's not, you know, you, you can drink uh, glasses and glasses when there is um, autoimmune and autoinflammatory issues going on in the body simply because of the immunoglobulins that are present in camel milk. Uh, so he started, uh, um, I mean, his um, uh, tree nut allergies started receding. And, uh, you know, he, he, I believe, is able to do pecans, almonds, and peanuts now. And, uh, and I, uh, keep in mind that none of these were life-threatening allergies. He had high IgEs, but the life-threatening allergies that he had were to cashews. And those haven't really uh, recovered yet. But the others, you know, it was a huge plus for mom, uh, especially doing the SCD diet where she was able to add in, um, you know, add in more to his diet. And, and he started gaining weight and height and growing uh, as the infections went down. But the key being that, you know, we did not see a complete going back to baseline before he went into this pants flare. And that was a real mystery to his mom and dad. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about why that was. You know, he was, he, his pan symptoms receded, but there were other symptoms which were still there. Right, and there are uh, other things that it can, can tr- 
contribute to the uh, the autoimmune reaction. I mean, various uh, allergens that we have, and it, those can be food, but they're not always food. A lot of people expect to look for, you know, red eyes or runny noses, but uh, allergy allergen reactions can be uh, extreme behavioral issues, or again, can trigger more of these uh, these autoimmune issues from these other infections going in the body because they already have these weaknesses. We need to take a short break right here, but uh, stay with us. We're, we're going to continue this discussion when we come back. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about uh, the continued co-infection discussion we're having with Dr. Jody DeShore. Today's subject is on PANS, or the, uh, the basically the pediatric uh, autoimmune issues that create the neuropsychiatric disorders and um, and we were discussing before the break camel's milk and we do want to make sure that uh, we'll have Dr. DeShore give a little bit of background on that that um, a lot of people think it's just you'll just find camel's milk and just start your child on it but there are some things to know about it um, not only starting really slowly as we do with anything with our children because they're ultra sensitive uh, and then titrating up but also when to know that it's okay and um, and I'll give a, a, a link to, I mean, basically you, you need to be able to uh, find the resource, but you need to probably be working with uh, an educated practitioner in this. So Dr. DeShore, can you give a little background on what I'm talking about there with, you know, how, how you would know if your child would benefit maybe from camel's milk and then how to go about uh, administering it with your child? Yeah, sure, definitely. So as I explained before, you know, there comes a point where uh, all parents will, will start considering with, uh, with PANS and PANDAS, uh, uh, IVIG or some sort of an uh, immune modulating. We need to keep in mind that we are not really looking for immune enhancement, especially if there are uh, co-infections like Lyme. Like one, one of the co-infections for uh, children uh, that can trigger PANS is uh, Lyme disease, uh, Bartonella, Babesia, Ehrlichiosis, Rickettsial diseases, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, not these. So uh, Lyme disease and, and a couple of these co-infections are known to suppress the immune system. Uh, and, you know, in fact, uh, there was a study uh, early last year that showed that mycoplasma pneumonia, which is a co-infection, again, which is seen in kids with PANS, uh, suppresses the IgM. You know, when you do labs, you see the IgG and the IgM. So IgM is suppressed, and uh, children with autism, uh, when we run labs, if we are able to run labs, you'll see that typically the labs will show you uh, many co-infections being IgG high. And, you know, I- IgMs, if we are lucky, will come about. So uh, erroneously, some parents might think, oh, we need to boost up the immune system. We don't need to boost up the immune system. You boost up an already autoimmune uh, immune system. What happens? There's further autoimmunity. We, we just want to calm down the immune system. And, you know, uh, the scientific word for that is regulate the immune system. And one of the ways that I found uh, to regulate the immune system, you know, uh, and get other benefits like like uh, gut repair with uh, with the leaky gut as well as allergy relief is using something that is all natural that is camel milk and um, camel milk again raw pasteurized I don't advocate raw it excuse me uh, it needs to be at least flash pasteurized um, then the other issues 
with camel milk, not issues, the, the other uh, aspects that, that have to be dealt with is folate receptor antibodies. If you have a child that has high FRA, you would uh, very, very slowly titrate into camel milk. But if, for low to moderate FRA, I really haven't seen any issues. And the reason for that being is we are careful. We look at the FRA uh, at the folate receptor antibody results. Then we look at the uh, methylation, the MTHFR, if there is uh, an, a, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, inflammatory uh, issues going on in the body, if the MTHFR is, is positive, if, uh, you know, is, is it heterozygous, homozygous, compound or not compound, we also look at inflammatory markers. So what I'm trying to say is you have to look at the big picture you have to look at the inflammatory picture, see what's going on before you introduce any kind of immune therapy. Could it be natural immune therapy like, like I do with camel milk or, you know, could it be... Uh, there are a few parents that choose uh, to do IVIG uh, with their children on the spectrum and there's no right or wrong, you know, it is just uh, the kind of approach you want to use. And the parents that come to me want to be completely plant-based and all natural. So one of the things uh, I found was camel milk. Now, the best way to look for camel milk, uh, the, the group that we have, it's, it's only been a couple months, and we are trying to get together um, a complete resource guide for camel milk professionals in almost every corner of the world. But right now, there isn't. But the best way to go about is to just Google, like I, I had a patient in South Africa uh, that I spoke to yesterday, and I said, you know, why don't you Google camel milk South Africa? And wouldn't you know it, uh, one, one of my colleagues, Hans, uh, has a website exactly by that name, camelmilksouthafrica.co.va, and it showed up for th this patient of mine in Johannesburg. So that's pretty much what you should do because the Middle East, India, Asia, uh, the United States, uh, camel milk in Europe as well, camel milk is available in many, many places around the globe. So definitely, you know, you should always ask uh, Dr. Google. And be sure that you do have some help administering it. If you, I know oh, yeah. um, I did attend at the Autism One conference a, a year and a half ago as well. The uh, the discussion with the expert on camel's milk, and he was telling parents that you should start with a, one drop per day. You know, people think, oh, it's a milk, so they're like pouring it into a, a cup and having their child drink a cup of it, and you know, you can end up with um, you know some some overstimulation of the immune system and some reactions that you don't want. So very, very important with that too. And then, um, and then you, so did, did Jason's parents give him camel milk and, and how did you know he wasn't getting better? And so did, were you able to move into um, finding out what was triggering him not getting better again, beyond uh, the, the initial episode of the PANS? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we did start with camel milk. And as I mentioned, you know, we had uh, we had uh, quite a good improvement with his leaky gut. We had improvement with the, some of the food sensitivities and some some of the mini allergies with him. Uh, what was interesting and I'll, I'll go into that next is why he wasn't reaching, you know, reaching baseline yet. Because, you know, he, he still had aches and pains and fatigue and some unusual pain, uh, headaches okay. and red eyes. 
so when when we come back, I guess from you know from the next break, then then we can discuss a little bit more about what was going on with him. Okay, perfect. Because I'm sure our listeners are really eager to to learn more so that they can help their children with that that information. So again, we need to take a short break right now. You're listening listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. I'm Karen Thomas. Please stay with us. We'll be right. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking with Dr. Jody DeShore, furthering our discussion on the comorbid symptoms of autism, and today's discussion so far, we've been talking about PANS, uh, or the pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric connection there, and uh, and Dr. DeShore, you're talking about a case study with a, a, a patient you had named Jason, um, and uh, he was. it might be good for you to go over some of those symptoms again. And, uh, that he had because uh, parents could then recognize that those symptoms mean specific things and that, you know, what they can do for the, from there. So could you, could you go on with that a, a little bit too? Yes, sure. We discussed his, uh, you know, the, the flare-up that he experienced with his pants and we, we also found out with labs that there were 11 co-infections underlying which had brought about the pants flare. Uh, and uh, the pants flare we discussed he had, your typical, you know, OCD, self-injurious behaviors. He had um, loss, uh, reduction, and even loss of gross motor skills, fine motor skills. He had the dilated pupils. Um, now, once once he was treated with the antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial herbals, all herbals, and uh, camel milk therapy, we, you know, and keep in mind, his mom and dad had already put in a lot of biomedical work for his autism diagnosis with the diet, with the heavy metal uh, detox, etc. So we were at a stage where uh, Jason was doing great. I mean, he was doing well, but he still had symptoms. And some of the symptoms that, that he now had were fatigue, um, aches and pains unusual aches and pains, like, you know, there would be very sharp pain in his gut and it would last for a couple of seconds and then it would go away. And of course he would start crying and that would last forever. The emotional reactions were, were uh, overly dramatic. He complained about headaches. You know, he, he, he would point to the head and sometimes do a little bit of head banging, trying to communicate. The eyes were red uh, his light sensitivity was very high. He developed a, um, you know, th- there was a, a little bit of a breathing difficulty. He would be a little short of breath as he went upstairs, uh, climbing upstairs to his room. Uh, his mom noticed appetite swings. Uh, there was issues with temperature regulation. At times, he would have cold, clammy palms. At times, he would be, you know, sweating for no reason. And we had already addressed his babesia. So it wasn't night sweats. It wasn't an, any kind of, I'm not even, you know what, actually he did not even have babesia uh, as, as a co-infection. He had Bartonella and Lyme and Rocky Mountain spotted fever was, was what, you know, the, the tick-borne infections that he had as, as part of his tan um, in, in infection panel. So anyways, where was I? Yeah. So some of the uh, other symptoms, a couple more. Uh, we had mood swings. He still had difficulty with focus and concentration. And his handwriting still hadn't improved because his fingers developed morning stiffness. And this is a child, you know, this, this is a, a, a really young child. 
So these were the, the symptoms that, that were the mystery symptoms that got me thinking. And I started questioning uh, mom and dad a little bit. And to make a long story short, um, we found that Jason had been exposed to black mold and other species of mold, specifically Aspergillus, Cladosporium, Wallenia, uh, and and also you know Stachybotrys, which is black mold. And um, upon further research, we found out that. And since I I am part of Dr. Shoemaker's group, you know um, last year's conference, there were a couple papers that were presented that. Uh, biotoxins, biotoxins can be a trigger for the PAN syndrome. So this was uh, something practical, hands-on, uh, that we had to look at and investigate further and see exactly where Jason was being exposed to mold and, you know, help him uh, with, with his uh, biotoxin illness now. So poor Jason not only had autism, you know, he had pants with 11 co-infections, including Lyme and co-infections. And now uh, he was dealing with the uh, uh, mold biotoxin illness, which is also known as SIRS or chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And it's, you know, one, two other symptoms which were, which mom had mentioned to me, I just recall, was static shocks. Uh, every time Jason would, would you know, touch a, a, a door handle or his iPad or computer monitor, he would get like pretty strong static shock. And he had an increased frequency of urination, which typically subsides after you treat for pan. And when children are also exposed to mold and they are not showing you know, a, a reduction in frequency of urination, which is uh, one of the classic symptoms of pans and pandas, then you know that you have to look for other things. And one of right. the things to look for is mold. So basically, you're treating for the symptoms of PANS, and they start to get a little bit better, but they're really not fully getting better. And a lot of the symptoms are remaining. Then you know that that there's mold exposure and that the, um, so um, again, mold triggers, we have this genetic issue and mold, if we're ex we have that, then our body can't dispel the toxins when we're exposed to mold. So you can even go into a public bathroom or it can be hidden in your child's school or in walls of your home that you're unaware mm -hmm. of. And so what happens is the body wants to fight those, that, you know, that, that exposure, that mold, because it sees it as a, a toxin. And then it creates inflammation in the body, but it can't get rid of those toxins in the body. So it keeps creating inflammation. That's why it's called chronic inflammatory response, because it creates basically what we call a cascade of inflammation through the body and including the brain. So uh, it very much affects, uh, can give a lot of symptoms. I mean, everything that we're mentioning here, uh, including complete brain fog, depression. Um, uh, there's so much to it uh, that, you know, you look at those extra symptoms and it's important to, to notice that uh, there can be um, aspects to mold. And, and I, Dr. DeShore and I have talked further at length in the past in mold, and we will do more in the future, but I will link to uh, some, some things that we've talked about in the past so that you have, uh, as you're listening, more, a little bit more information on that. Dr. DeShore, is there anything you want to add um, in here right now, more so on the, the mold aspect or on PANS or the connection? 
Yes, absolutely. Yes, let's let's proceed a little bit with that. I'm happy to. So we we, we did find uh, where the mold was, and and you know we they had a washing machine issue, a basement issue, a um, an ABA therapy center where he had attended for many years. For I, as you know, ABA therapy often takes hours, and it's not always in the home. So we found multiple areas of um, uh, mold exposure for Jason, and um, we did a full workup, a full CIRS workup for him. And again, CIRS is Chronic Inflammatory Response Syndrome, which is a multi-system and a multi-symptom illness. And you know, uh, a little while back, the remaining symptoms that we spoke about for Jason, you can see that involves his circulatory symptom. Uh, I mean, his uh, circulatory system. It involves his visual system. Involves his neurological system, his urinary uh, system as well. So it, for him, it was a multi-system illness at that point. And, and I, I will discuss a little bit more about the genetic aspects of it. You know, we, we should begin at the beginning. Right. Okay. We need to take a short break right here. Uh, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. We will. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking with Dr. Jody Deshore on the connection of one of the comorbid infections, which is PANS, or Pediatric Autoimmune or Acute Neuropsychiatric Disorder. And now we've gone into how one of the other co-infections of autism, which is the mold genetic issue, uh, can, ha, will actually actually trigger the PANS onset or uh, in, disable your child from being able to recover fully from the PANS. So, Dr. Deshore, can you talk a little bit about the, the genetic issue with mold and some of the biotoxins and how this all comes together? Yes, absolutely, yes. All biotoxins are uh, neurological toxins, and that obviously becomes important for our children with, uh, with autism or autism spectrum disorders. So, about 25 to 27% of the general population in the world, <clears throat> roughly one in four people, uh, have the genetic susceptibility for being able to easily acquire biotoxins and, and the immune system doesn't recognize. So what happens is the body, you know, and uh, our patient Jason happened to be one of those, the body acquires biotoxins like mold toxins from, from the air, you know, from living in, in a water-damaged building. Now, what happens is the biotoxin enters the body, and in most people, these toxins are either removed from the blood by the liver or they are attached by the immune system. They are broken down and they are excreted harmlessly. In people who don't have the right immune response genes, you know, that is this one in four people that I just mentioned, um, these toxins can remain in the body indefinitely. They remain in the body, so it really wouldn't matter if Jason was exposed, you know, to uh, a mold at the age of two, and his his parents uh, found out and they remediated the house, etc. And but you know, the biotoxins, the mold toxins, if they weren't uh, systematically removed from his body those would stay in the body indefinitely because he did have the, uh, the, the genetic susceptibility or his uh, genetic buildup was that he did not have the right immune response, meaning the immune system doesn't recognize mold toxins as invaders. 
So the immune and it system triggers, doesn't really do anything about them. Sorry. And then it triggers also, I mean, there's all of the, the, the cascade of inflammation and all the things that that causes. But then is that what's triggering the PAN's onset then also because the, the body's immune system is, is fighting harder? And it, I know that, that part of the PAN's is that it, the immune system attacks the brain. So is, is this sort of the trigger for the immune system? And then the immune system overreacting creates the PAN's? And it's just like this whole domino effect? That is correct, yes. We, we shall, uh, you know, it'll be another show, I'm thinking, but we have to go a little bit into uh, the two branches of the immune system. You have the innate immune system and the acquired immune system and what happens with infections with pants and what happens with, uh, with mold exposure. You know, mold exposure uh, triggers, upregulates and dysregulates your innate immune system. You know, the innate immune system is the one that you're born with. You know, that's the factory-installed immune system that comes with, uh, with everybody. And uh, it attacks the innate immune system, and that is why it causes this um, heavy-duty inflammatory cytokine cascade in the brain, in the body, which uh, research shows that, you know, many, uh, uh, many nuclei, in the cortical gray matter in the brain uh, are affected. Uh, There are areas in the forebrain that are affected. There are areas in the basal ganglia that are affected by the mold toxins. And uh, those parents out there who uh, have researched pants a little bit, pants and pandas, they know that the the autoantibodies that attack the brain also attack the basal ganglia. So here are the core basal ganglia in the brain which perform very important functions of emotion, social cognition, gross motor, fine motor, focus, concentration. Uh, these, the, that area in the brain is being attacked from both sides. And so um, we, I know that you have some natural herbal protocols. Again, this isn't something that just you want to go to your, your general GP to try and work with. I know some people say, oh, I know how to work with mold. And I, I heard that too, but I realized that they really didn't. And they were, were, they were trying hard. They meant well. They thought they knew well. But it, if, you, if you don't work with this properly, it won't work uh, and really take care of the problem. So, um, unfortunately, we are out of time today, but we will definitely need to continue this discussion. And Dr. Deshore will be back with us. We will further it. Any links for this show will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 3030. And um, thank you, Dr. Deshore, again for being here with us today. I greatly appreciate your time, your expertise, and, and uh, you sharing with, uh, with all of us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. And thank you for being here with us to get the natural resources you need for your child. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week and take care.